Amen and amen. Maybe I should do Vision Sunday every Sunday. I'm pretty fired up. Well, hey, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The series is called, um, the series is called Solomon's Search for Meaning. Uh, I want it all to make sense. That summarizes Solomon's heart. We've talked about how he starts with a foundation of like, uh, you know, he's a believer in God and David was his dad and so he's got the basics down, but he wanders off. And he's going down all of these different roads trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose, trying to find happiness, and he can't find it. Uh, his search is awfully worldly, it's awfully selfish. And he therefore shares in Ecclesiastes, it's a one-of-a-kind book where in this book we hear a very honest, ground-level um, um, groaning about why can't this world make me happy? Why can't this world make me happy? And you feel it, and I feel it. It just feels like we often hit dead end after dead end in life. We thought this path, we thought this person, we thought this process would lead to something better. Suddenly we're right back where we started. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel like, I can't believe where I am right now in life. Hey, listen, Ecclesiastes has you covered. Today, the message is called Fear God. Solomon, after wandering around and saying, there's no meaning to life, there's no point, there's a time for everything, he finally now camps for a moment on approaching a holy God. The sermon is called Fear God. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So jot this down. Number one, approach God with reverence and awe. Approach God with reverence and awe. Guard your step. Watch your step. Now, you know what that's like physically, right? When you're going somewhere and suddenly there's a sign that says, watch your steps, right? Check it out. Here's a sign, uh, you know, wet floor, and it's like, caution! And if, you, if you're not careful, if you're just like, you know, go, you're going to woo and down you go because you didn't watch your step. Here's another one. There could be a tripping hazard, right? Watch your step or there's something right there that you're just going to, you know, you're going to go. And so if you don't watch your step, you're going to fall down. At our, my childhood home, you walk in and the entryway is sunken in just a little bit. And then there's a step up to the kitchen and the living room. But for a while, the floor there matched the floor that was stepped up. And guess what? People, so many people, didn't watch their step, and down they went. Down they went. And so we had to start telling people, hey, watch where you walk near our entryway, because there's a step. If you've fallen down before, you know how important it is to watch your step. Now, take that and apply it to going to church, or back then in the Old Testament, going to temple worship. The moment you draw near, Solomon is saying, watch out. Approach God with reverence and awe. It means being mindful of our words, our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes when we gather to worship because we know who we are and because we know who He is. There's a warning if we don't approach God with reverence and awe in this passage as well. So watch out. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now that's Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Remember that song? Let, I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you, right? You can see this is lifted right out of Scripture. I'll let my words be few because I know who I am and I know who God is. Jot this down. Approach God with reverence and awe because he's a holy God. Because he's a holy God. 
When you realize God is holy, 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 you realize who you're not. God is unapproachable. He lives far off. He's immense. He's eternal. And therefore, we can't encounter the fullest expression of his glorious presence and even survive. God is holy, holy, holy. When we realize that God is a holy God, we will approach him with reverence and awe. Solomon's temple was set up to demonstrate this reality. Check it out. Here's a picture of Solomon's temple or a recreation of what it would look like. Coming to worship would mean you would enter the outer courts and then perhaps even the inner courts. You wouldn't, only the priests would go inside. And the idea there is you needed mediation. God's earthly presence was in what's called the Holy of Holies. It was the inner sanctuary of that temple. And here's the next picture. This shows you the breakdown of how the temple was laid out. There was the, you know, the, the, the entryway, and then there was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. Now listen, the priests could go and do their work in the holy place, but nobody could go into the holy of holies except the high priest and only on one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And when he went in, the tradition has it that he kind of had you know, a rope with some, like, bells on it, you know, to let people know that he's still alive, because if he messes up, he's not going to make it out alive. There was fear, and clearly the temple, I think, do we have one more picture of that? Here's, here's what it would look like if that curtain was open. If you were, and it was covered in gold, it was glorious, and, and if you barged into that most holy place, you'd be put to death. Uh, the idea is this, you are not able to enter the presence of a holy God. Now that was the Old Testament. You could come this close, priests could get a little closer, one guy could go all the way in for a second, then he got out. The way is shut. We were not allowed in. And it's because God is a holy God. He's eminent, he's far off, he's unapproachable, and we are sinful. So we can't what was up with Mount Sinai? You touch the mountain, you die. Moses got to go up, nobody else got to go up. Then a few leaders got to go up, then nobody got to go up. If an animal touched it, it died. In other words, the Ten Commandments weren't ten ways that you can get up there. The Ten Commandments were ten reasons you're not going to get up there. We can't approach a holy God. Yet, jot this down, He is approachable and wise. Watch your step. Because He's a holy God, knowing He's approachable and wise, so here's the thing, there was a temple, so you were called to draw near. So wait, which is it? Is he unapproachable or is he approachable? Both. In your sin, you can't just barge into the presence of a holy God. But when he makes a way for you and me, for us to come near, watch out. Come, but come with reverence and awe. Fools come carelessly, hastily, recklessly, selfishly, and they bring evil into the heart of God. It says in verse 1, they do not know that they are doing evil. It says, draw near to listen. That's better than offering the sacrifice of fools. We have a choice to make. Are we going to approach God foolishly or are we going to approach God reverently? He is approachable. He is wise. He has things that we need to hear, but he is a, a holy God. Therefore, let your words be few. It says here, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice 
with many words. There are a few comparisons in this passage that kind of reflect a proverb of the time, and there's actually, it's actually kind of confusing to interpret what it means. There's a few ways you can look at it, and scholars are not exactly sure how to apply it. But somehow there's a comparison drawn here between dreaming and much business, um, meaning there's much working, and then that leads to bad dreams. If you're like all fretting, and then you're having bad dreams, or the dreams could have the business in them. We're not exactly sure what it means, but the point is, as those things compare, a fool's voice is full of many words. We understand that. We understand that a fool is full of many words, and if you are foolish when you draw near to worship, your mouth will often show it. We understand that, even if we don't fully understand the comparison that he was making. Now, I want to warp to the New Testament for a second because Solomon is speaking from an Old Testament standpoint. He's right. Approaching God with reverence and awe is important. He is a holy God. He is approachable and wise. But we have to know that Jesus Christ changed how we approach God. So fill this in. Understand that Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. When it comes to approaching God, the Old Testament had the temple. The Old Testament had Mount Sinai. You couldn't get fully into the presence of an almighty God. Everything changed when Jesus came into the world. Many people don't understand this today, which is why if you go into some churches, uh, particularly like if, uh, when we were in Kiev, we went into like an Orthodox church. When you walk in, there is a wall in front of you and only the priests can get behind it. They misunderstand how Jesus has changed things. They still teach you can't get in there. Only certain people can. That's not the New Testament. So we must understand Jesus' role in helping us to approach God. And it's this. Jesus is the only way to the Father. In fact, you remember Jesus died on the cross, right? And then do you remember what happened to the curtain of the temple, to the most holy place? What happened to it? It was, it was ripped in two. Where did the tear start? This thing was like 30 feet up in the air, all right? There's no dude on a ladder with scissors. God himself tore open the way to his holy presence when his son died to take away all of our sins. The Lamb of God was slain to take away the sins of the world, and God said, it's open. Jesus said, it's finished, and that opened the way for us to do what we would have paid with our lives in the Old Testament. Now we can abide in the holy presence of Almighty God. Wow. Jesus is the way to the Father. So that begs the question, have you approached God through faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know he is the only way to heaven? Is, is Jesus the one you worship because only in him can you have friendship with God? God is a high and holy, spiritual, almighty being, yet he dwells with the contrite in spirit. He wants you to know him personally, he doesn't want you to walk around simply cowering in fear all day long. He wants you to actually walk with him through his son. That only happens when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible is clear. If you worship your God your way, you're going nowhere. Nowhere good. If you worship God in a quick and careless and heartless and flippant manner, that won't please God. People think they can worship any God any way. That's not biblical. Only Jesus opened the way to the holy presence of God. Have you followed him into the sanctuary? Are you following him to eternity? Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? If not, you can trust Jesus today. 
You can ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Another thing you can ask him to be is your great high priest who brings you into the presence of God. You have to be saved. It can happen when you're 5, when you're 55, when you're 95, but you have to be saved so that Jesus can bring you into the presence of God. Maybe today is your day. Hey, number one, approach God with reverence and awe. He's a holy God. He's approachable and wise. And Jesus is the way to the Father. Now, number two, Solomon asks us to listen attentively and learn the ways of life. Listening and talking is a big part of this passage. And one way we display folly is with our mouth. We're, we're too talkative. We're, what we're saying is actually not good in God's presence. And one way we display humility is we are listening. It says in verse 1, draw near to listen. That's better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they're doing evil. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So there's listening and talking. Verse two, or not, point two, listen attentively and learn the ways of life. Listening is a display of humility. Fools often are talkative. They talk too much. They talk about themselves. They talk in careless or heartless or crass ways. They get into trouble. And we should aspire in the church to have big ears. To, to be listeners. And the further we have gotten along in faith, the bigger our ears should become. Often this doesn't happen. Often as people are in the church longer and longer, their ears actually get smaller. And they get, um, when it comes to hearing from God or hearing from other people about faith or growth, they actually don't want to hear it. They think, well, I've, you know, heard this and, you know, who are you to tell me this? And, uh, and I'm the one who should be teaching you. And then this kind of proud, haughty spirit can come up where their ears are getting much, 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 much smaller. Humility actually shows the ears getting bigger, meaning you can't get enough of God's word. And if somebody gives you advice or feedback, you want to hear it. That's humility. So here's what it looks like to have big ears. This is who we want to be when we come to church every week. This is your hero. This is your role model. You know, when we, when I, if some people ask me sometimes, do you get your sermons online? And I'm like, no, no, no. I sit down with a Bible and a blank piece of paper every week and I put my big ears on and I say, God, speak to me. That's where it comes from. So we have to have big ears. Don't be like this person. You know, when you uh, are hearing from God, you just kind of plug your ears up and you're like, you know, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm not listening. Listen attentively and learn the ways of life. Jot this down. Bring a humble heart. Bring a humble heart. When it comes to um, these actions here, the heart is not in it for the fool. The fool is doing things in the temple, but they're not following through. The fool is saying things, but they're not meaning it or understanding what they're saying. So there's a heart problem here. So we have to actually bring a humble heart into the presence of God. It's not just externals, right? If we have a humble heart, then we won't be foolish on the outside when we worship God. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, listen, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Did you hear that? 
These people draw near to me with their mouth. Oh, you're great. You're amazing. I'm even going to sing. And they draw near in honor with their lips. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm a Christian. But God says their heart, there could be a grand canyon of separation, even for a person who is in a place of worship. Wow. Wasn't it enough that I got to church? Isn't it enough that I, you know, tuned in online? Isn't it? Watch your step. God wants your heart. Bring a humble heart. Jot this down and aim to be transformed. Aim to be transformed. So there's actions here, like a vow that is made and should be paid. There's actions here about your mouth and not being hasty, actually coming and listening. These are all actions. Um, But the actions are not enough. So the point that's implicit here is there's supposed to be a transformation happening where you are actually genuinely worshiping a holy God because your heart has been changed. You're not just externally making commitments and maybe keeping them. You're truly being transformed. Um, And so are you be? it's not just a to-do list. Okay, I went to church, I went to temple, and check, 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 check. You're actually inviting God to change you through his word and through his Holy Spirit aim to be transformed. The fool is described here as doing a variety of things. They're just shooting off at the mouth. They're rash, hasty. They're there, but they're doing evil things. They're making vows they're not keeping. Their mouth is leading them to sin. They're making excuses when they don't follow through, right? The the fool is full of all of this foolish activity. I think a really good Um, I've got a new vocabulary word for you today that describes the fool in this passage. It's actually used among like teenagers when they're playing video games and the vocabulary word is called a tryhard. Have you heard this word before? If your child, your son perhaps is on video games talking loudly about the game, that word will often be thrown out there. Oh, he's just a tryhard. What does it mean? Well, it's a noun and it means a person who participates in a game or other activity with too much enthusiasm, emotion, effort, or commitment, um, or someone creating a false image to appear more attractive or appealing, a phony, a poser, uh, he's just a tryhard. So a tryhard is somebody who's like overdoing it because they're underskilled or untalented or they're not really, you know, but they're overdoing it, and the words poser, show off, you know, tryhard, phony, that is your new vocabulary word for the day. Try and work that into a sentence at some point later. Try hard. This fool who's, who's in the temple is a try hard. They're saying things. They're making commitments. They're, you know, they're, they're showing off, but they're not in it. They don't believe it. They're not following through. And every week, a lot of people come to church because they have to. Or they, you know, kind of stick around because they want a little religion in their life. And they kind of, it's more of an image thing. It's more of like, a, yeah, you know, I'm part of this. But, but they're not really at the heart level seeking Christ. They're not really at the heart level devoting themselves to God. Don't let that be you. That's the fool. That's the fool. Bring a humble heart. Aim to be transformed. In James 1, to 25, it says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The idea is the Bible is like a mirror. And when you look into it and it's like, hey, do this, don't do that. 
You don't like look at it and then be like, all right, and then you walk away and just don't listen. You don't apply it. So how you hear God's word um, can be either foolish or wise. And when you come with big ears on a Sunday morning and you say, Lord, I'm ready to be transformed. I'm ready for what you have for me today. You know, I'm ready for you to transform me and show me how I can live out this faith. Then that is a humble, wise person. Aim to be humble, aim to be transformed, and then jot this down. Understand that Jesus is the word made flesh. So now we're again, Solomon started a journey that he couldn't truly finish in the Old Testament. Christ hadn't come yet, but he was getting the world ready for Christ to come. In fact, all of Scripture in the Old Testament got the world ready for Christ to come. Do you know that's what the Old Testament was all about? Every verse in some way was getting the world ready for Christ to come. In fact, do you know that that's the entire part of the New Testament, the whole point? Any verse you read in the New Testament, do you know what it's doing? It's getting the world ready for Christ to come again. Verily, that's simply what the Bible is. The Old Testament got the world ready for Christ to come. The New Testament is getting the world ready for Christ to come again. It's all about Him. So understand that Jesus is the Word made flesh. So it's not just about Bible knowledge. All Scripture points to the person of Jesus. Jesus. And in John 1, 1 1-2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Do you understand that Jesus is the full and final message of revelation for God to you? Do you understand that the Bible isn't just a book of rules? Okay, I won't steal anything, I won't murder, I won't covet, and I'm good with God. That's not it. Do you understand that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life? Do you have Jesus Christ, the Word of God, in your life? Yes, he wants us, we're to teach you to obey everything he has commanded. We are to put God's word into practice, but we do it because we love him. We do it because he saved us. We don't do it to show off. We don't do it to try hard. We do it to please him because we're already saved. Is that your heart? Number one, approach God with reverence and awe because he's a holy God. Knowing he's approachable and wise, understand that Jesus is the way to the Father. Number two, listen attentively and learn the ways of life. Bring a humble heart. Aim to be transformed and understand that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Number three, jot this down. Don't be foolish before God. Don't be foolish before God. So we're going to drill down on this a little bit. A few things the fool does. In other words, only a fool would do these things. Don't do these things when you come to worship. The fool doesn't live wisely, doesn't live humbly before God. The fool often doesn't even worship, or if he or she does, they don't worship reverently or accurately. One commentator said the adjectives that go along with the wise person is caution, reverence, restraint, moderation, sincerity. If you wanted a New Testament equivalent that goes into great detail about what it means to worship wisely today, you'd read through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 when it talks about spiritual gifts, when it talks about chaotic worship, when it talks about speaking in tongues, when it talks about prophecy, uh, communion. There, there was such crazy stuff happening in Corinth. They say Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Right? What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And it was so bad that people had died in church at God's judgment because of how they were treating one another. So 1 Corinthians is kind of a modern-day version of Ecclesiastes 5 the do's and don'ts of wise and reverent and unwise worship. And generally speaking, our worship should be conscious, right? Our, our worship should be coherent, and it should be controlled. 
So worship that is not conscious, that is not coherent, and that is not controlled is foolish. That's just one place in the New Testament where we understand what foolish worship can be. And no, you can't just come into the presence of a holy God and worship whatever God you want in whatever way you want. That's clear here. So what are some things we can take away from Ecclesiastes 5? Well, jot this down. Be faithful in your commitments. It's commendable to be faithful in your spiritual commitments here. Um, you could offer sacrifices. There were the, you know, you would bring a tithe to the temple back then, 10% of your first fruits. You'd, you'd start off. You'd give God the first of your best. We model that today, too. We challenge our members and regular attenders to tithe to the Lord first. You know, God says, put me to the test in this area. And so to tithe. But then there were festivals. There were special occasions where you could bring an offering. You could make a vow uh, for something, and then you would promise a pledge. Uh, there are all sorts of uh, laws in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 23, that, that outline how, we could, how they could do that in the Old Testament, how you could offer a special offering for this or that. And then there were restrictions put on them. If you vow this, don't make a rash vow. If you pledge this, follow through with it. It's a serious thing to make a commitment to God and then back out. Well, we're not to go back into the Old Testament and start bringing animals or apples to church, right? Um, but the principles we can lift out of this are actually still applicable. So if you haven't written this down, write this down. Be faithful in your commitments. When, when um, we launched our church, we had three W's. We now have four. And if you're a part of this church, we challenge you to become four things. Someone who worships Christ, walks with Christ, works for Christ, and witnesses for Christ. Our whole church is set up to help you grow in those four areas at, at every age. And so this, this camps on worship and working for Christ. If you have a, a worship, if you have a pledge, if you have um, a commitment, then keep that to the Lord. And if you're working for Christ, if you've signed up for something, if you're a part of a team, then, then keep that commitment. Don't be someone who falls through. Don't be someone who's casual or fickle in their spiritual commitments to God or church. When it comes to working for Christ, there are so many places where you can do it. And sometimes we have people who just aren't that committed. They either show up late or they're not prepared or their attitude is just not great. You know, people on the worship team might be like, well, I don't have to play that song perfectly. It's just for church. We've actually had people say that. We've had to say, no, 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 it's for Jesus. And the Bible actually calls us to do our best, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself as a workman approved, not your worst. People have often said things like that. Well, it's just for church. It's just for church. No, no, no. It's for the King of Kings. Therefore, no matter what you're doing, whether you're on snack duty or you're leading a VBS team or you serve as a deacon or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. That's what the wise person and the reverend person does. They are faithful in their commitments. Jot this down. Be measured and blameless in your speech. Be measured and blameless in your speech. Be not rash with your mouth, verse 2. Or be hasty to utter a word before God. You're real careful how you talk. This specifically ties into making vows or speaking in the temple, but it could, of course, be expanded to how you're talking in small groups or how you're talking in the lobby, right? Uh, we're going to have wholesome speech to build others up, not to break them down. We're going to have pure and blameless speech, not coarse joking. We're going to have love and reverence speech, right? Um, and so be measured and blameless in your speech. This ties into prayer as well because it's corporate worship. And so what you're saying to God, be not rash, be not fickle, be not empty, be not, uh, you know, be not irreverent. So in your prayers, 
There's ways that you can um, speak irreverently. That could be a prayer full of fillers, right? Just fillers, just all these ramblings. Or selfish things, it's all about you. Or irreverent rambling, you're just not treating God in the way you talk to Him like He is a holy, awesome God. You're speaking very irreverently and flippantly about Him. So when it comes to not being foolish before God, we have to be measured and blameless in our speech. And jot this down finally, please God with all your ways. Please God with all your ways. That's a summary of what's happening here. It says, when you vow uh, uh, to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. God has no pleasure in fools. We don't want to be foolish, heartless, shallow worshipers. We don't want to be fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. We're careful with our commitments. We're pleasing him. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. The idea there, it sounds like what's happening is there could have been some messenger who was collecting on a pledge in the temple, out of the temple. You made a pledge. It's time to fulfill it. And then there's excuses. There's excuses. The person is like, oh, it was a mistake. I didn't mean it. No, I can't do that. And now a formal commitment is being balked on. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? That's the question that we have to ask. We don't want God to be angry because of what's happening with us at church, right? We don't want to, we get here, we participate, we're in fellowship, and then God's actually angry with us when it's all done. We don't want that. Then there's one more comparison here that's still a little confusing. For when dreams increase and words grow many, grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Again, we don't exactly know what this comparison means, but the idea is um, dreams increasing and words growing many, um, represent some sort of foolishness and some sort of cause and effect that people understood at that time that was just vain. And, um, but we, we do understand the conclusion, God is the one you must fear. God is the one you must fear. We get how fools and, um, and speech that is unwholesome go together. We get that. And we get how the wise person and appropriate worship should go together as well. God is the one we must fear. Hey, it's time for us as a church to say we are going to guard our steps when we go to the house of God. And let me tell you that that begins when you understand that you need the grace that only God can provide to you. If you've never been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have access to God yet. It's time for you to open your heart to that and say, Jesus, save me. To understand that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins. Only through his sacrifice can you approach a holy God. Only through his sacrifice can you dwell with God forever and ever. If you've never been saved before, I want to give you the chance, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, to actually surrender your life to Christ right now. Do you know that spiritual life is not about you trying as hard as you can for your whole life, building up, your spiritual credit, and then finding out when you appear before those pearly gates if you did enough. It is by grace you have to be saved through faith. It is the gift of God. You have to accept and state that you can't earn it, that Jesus alone did it for you on the cross. Then you can become a forgiven person. And if you're a forgiven person, you'll worship. You'll love him. You'll praise him. You'll do your best to serve him. You'll give generously to him. You'll love other people who he saved. It starts right in here. 
Hey, let's go to the Lord in response to everything we've heard today. Let's pray together. Jesus, you came into the world to save sinners. We thank you for your salvation. Jesus, we can't approach a holy God apart from you. And I know there are some here today or worshiping online, they've never asked you, Jesus, to take away all their sins. They've never confessed to you that they are far away from God because of all that they have done. Today is the day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus, right now, I pray that your word would penetrate deeply into the soul of men and women, young and old, who desperately need the grace of God. I pray that some would feel that conviction. Some would sense that there has been something blocking them from God their whole lives. And that right now they would cry out to you, Jesus, and say, save me. You can pray to him right now in your heart. You don't have to say magic words. You don't have to say a lot of words. You can let your words be few. But you do have to say it. So pray this in your heart with me right now. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. Say that in your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. And say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your law. Tell him that. And say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I have broken your law. I've been a fool. I've been a fool. Jesus, transform me and bring me into the presence of God forever. If you prayed that right now, I want you to know that Jesus saved you. The Spirit of God just came inside of you. And he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will be your friend and your companion and your shepherd and walk you through all the days of this life. And then you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, we thank you. And we want to worship you and serve you because you are the one true God. We give you all the glory. Amen.